Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Hey everybody, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life. And no matter where you are today, whether you're watching online or you're streaming in your car as you drive, we just wanna say thank you for engaging with today's message. We hope that no matter where you are in life, it will be an encouragement to you and that it will cause you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. We also wanna challenge you and say, don't leave today without taking the next step that you need to take in your faith journey. One of the ways that we can help you with that is if you go to branchlife.church, you'll find steps there on how to take that next step for you. Again, we're thankful that you've engaged with us today, and we hope that we'll see you in the weeks to come. And that you're worshiping with us. We're in week three of our overflow series, and we're talking about some powerful phrases that should overflow from our hearts as we fill our lives with Christ. And this week's phrase is particularly powerful. We're talking about the phrase, I'm sorry. Two of the most powerful words in the English language, when combined, have the ability to restore relationships. The depth of I'm sorry, the, the, uh, uh, the gravity of these words can have an incredible impact on your emotions, on your relationship, and on your spiritual walk. So today, we are talking about the power of the apology. It's a powerful, powerful thing. It's so powerful that you name one of the top musical artists of our time, uh, whether it's Prince or Madonna or uh, Justin Bieber or Eminem, they've all written songs about apologies with the words, I'm sorry in it. Taylor Swift has had her fair share, but probably the most pronounced is a been written by Adele, right? The songbird of angels. Adele, with this voice from above, can sing a song where we said, she says, hello, hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times just to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done. And Adele sings this incredible song all about the power of apology. The song that we're gonna look at first was written before any of these songs. And it is all about the power of apology. We're going to be looking at Psalm 32, and we're going to see what it means to say, I'm sorry. And as believers and followers of Jesus, how we should be best at saying, I'm sorry. Have you ever had that moment where you had to apologize to someone? Maybe it was a special someone. Here's a principle for you. We often hurt those that we love the most, the most, right? And if you're, if you're married or if you've got kids or you're in a serious relationship, it's probably true that at some point in that relationship, there was something said, there was something done that caused some significant heartache of some time. And you probably acted like this t-shirt says, like a monster. And, and you found yourself having to figure out and formulate how to best apologize. Maybe like Adele, you'd call from the other side of the phone and say, I'm just calling to say I'm sorry for everything I've done. Or maybe, maybe you just learned that one of the best ways to say I'm sorry is to bring in some apology flowers. Man, these apology flowers uh, can bring some 
some gravitas to your words when you say I'm sorry. And for whatever reason, it just makes everything better when you come up to someone and say I'm sorry. And here's some flowers to prove the depth of my words. Man, the power of an apology. So if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 32, and we're going to read this psalm together, and then we're going to jump in and learn a little bit about what it teaches us. Psalm 32, starting in verse 1, it says, Blessed is, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning through my groaning all day long, and day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they'll not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes, with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, for the shout of joy, all your upright in heart. Psalm 23 is an apology psalm. And if we were going to summarize Psalm 23 into a kind of a phrase that could be repeated, you may say something like this, happy people apologize, miserable people don't. I don't, I don't know if this has been your experience in life, but man, here's what we learn about the power of apology. Apologizing, the ability to confess, the ability to say I'm sorry, has an effect on your happiness. And it tends to be true that the happier the person is, the better they are at apologizing. The more miserable the person is, the worse they are at apologizing. And that may sound like a nice thought, but did you know that it's biblical? And it comes out of this phrase. Let me show you what I mean. In Psalm chapter 32 and verses 1 and 2, it said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. The word for blessed, if we translate it back to the original, uh, the original, the this was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. And this word blessed can also be translated happy. Blessed or happy is the one who's been forgiven, whose sins have not been counted against them, and who in, in their spirit is no deceit. As a, matter of, as a matter of speaking, what has happened in the happy person is they are no longer hiding anything. They're not deceiving anyone. They're not tricking anyone. They're not going around saying and, and not doing something that they know they did. There's no deceit. And what they have done, the wrong that they have committed, has been forgiven. There's happiness there. This psalm is going to start and end with words for happiness and joy. And in the middle of the song, it's going to talk about the power of the apology. 
And it starts off with this thought, happy people apologize. Happy people apologize. I, I don't know, you know how many of these fights you have been in with your special someone, but they're not fun. I mean, it's a weird person that enjoys this kind of conflict. And when you have a knockdown drag out fight, maybe it's a, a fight between a brother and sister or a husband and wife, and you've said things you shouldn't have said and damage has been done. One of the sweetest moments in a, in a relationship is when you're able to come back together after a fight and apologize and make it right. You apologize and you make it right. And what happens is your relationship then takes steps for, farther and higher than it was before. You are able to have in the sweetness of the apology, joy and happiness. You're able to forgive one another. You're able to advance in and, and stop and smell the roses. You, you have now a better relationship because you've gone through the act of confession and apologizing. Happy people have learned how to apologize. Happy relationships, happy marriages, happy friendships have learned the secret and the power of the apology. There's a, a system of thought out there and it's held by some famous people where they refuse to apologize under any circumstance. I mean, there's nothing you can say, there's nothing you can do that will convince that other person to apologize because they believed some mantra that says, never, never apologize. Apologizing is weakness and you must always be strong. Please don't buy into that mantra because I, I tell you, what I've experienced and what I believe the Bible teaches, that people who do not believe in apology, people that are not good at apologizing, are generally miserable. You see, miserable people don't apologize. The, the person that's, that's mad and, and bitter and angry, the one that's hanging on to the, to the guilt, the one that's, that's uh, looking for reasons to be upset, the one that's keeping the list of what's happened and what's wrong and why every, everything is, is the way that it is, that person generally is holding on to some misery and some bitterness and they're not good at apologizing. They're not good at recognizing what they have done wrong. And when you do not apologize, this psalm describes the spirit of the person who refuses to acknowledge their sin and mistake. The only people that should never apologize are perfect people. Let me say that again. The only people that should never apologize are perfect people. If you've never sinned and if you've never made a mistake, well, then you don't need to apologize. The truth is we all make mistakes. We all sin. The Bible clearly says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we should all be good at apologizing. Your rate of apology should at least match your rate of mistakes and sin, if not exceed them. So miserable people aren't good at apologizing. Here's what Psalm 32 says about that in verses three and four. For when I kept silent, all right, when I didn't apologize, when I didn't confess, when I stuffed down my mistakes and I tried to hide them and I didn't let anyone know, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Though my, uh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as 
by the sweat of summer. Selah. You know, in this verse, in this psalm, the word Selah is used over and over again. And if we go back to the Hebrew translation, what does Selah mean? Well, whenever you see Selah, it's basically kind of summing it up, saying, think about this. Think about what we just said. This was an important stanza. This was an important phrase. This was an important thought. Selah. Meditate on that. Think about it. So when you see Selah, think, say what? Selah, say what? So what is he saying? What's the concept here? Let's look at it a little bit closer. So when I kept silent, when I did not apologize, when I did not confess, my bones wasted away. I groaned all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up. Have, have you ever raced somebody, at, like raced your kids around and you started running around and, and you're trying to race and, and the way that you kind of got them to slow down is you just grab them with your hand and put some pressure on it, put some weight on them. If they were wearing a backpack in high school, you just pulled that down and it just got harder and harder to walk or harder and harder to run because your hand was literally heavy on top of them. That's the picture being painted by the person that doesn't confess. The hand of the Lord is heavy on them and it's hard to get through the day and it saps your strength and your, your strength dries up like it was by the heat of the summer. In those days when it's so hot and it's so hard, it seems by the end of the day, you're completely drained. When you refuse to confess, when you refuse to apologize, this is the physical reaction that takes place. This describes a miserable person. When I kept silent, when I stood my ground, when I was stubborn, when I knew I was the one that was right and they needed to apologize first, when I had made the mistake but I didn't think anybody else knew about it, when I just didn't want to give them the satisfaction, I was miserable. My bones wasted away. I groaned all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up. Here's the truth from this section of verses. It's hard to hide sin. It's hard to hide sin. Guys, it is work to try not to apologize, to be right all the time, to keep yourself on the pedestal, to work at keeping the secrets that you're keeping and to make yourself always look better that you than you are. It is super hard to hide sin. Let's just look at some examples of this. Whether you're a president who promises that he's not a crook but was involved in obviously crooked activity or you're a sports figure that says he didn't deflate those footballs or you're Adam and Eve and you're the first ones responsible for sin. In each of these circumstances it's much harder. It takes a lot more work it is a difficult process. Look at the wrath of the entire political world that ended up costing him his job. Look at the ridicule that comes placed online, whether you believe he's guilty or not. And the weight of the world literally on the shoulders of Adam and Eve, who first who were the first ones involved in the original sins. You see, God had designed us to live a life free from sin, free from uh, uh, making these kinds of mistakes, free from hurting one another in our relationship with God. And it was a beautiful creation that Adam and Eve were a part of, but they did something that they shouldn't have done. And immediately Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. They worked at trying to separate themselves 
from the relationships, the presence, the knowledge of God, and they couldn't do it. It is hard to hide sin. And you've probably experienced this yourself. You've probably come into particular times and particular situations where you didn't want anybody to find it out. You didn't want anybody to know. You, you didn't want to admit that you had made that choice, that you had done that action and you had hurt that person. We all do it. And we all get tempted to hide it. And then mistake upon mistake and sin upon sin builds up. And we are then described, as the previous verse said, as weighed down and as heavy. I've had to do my fair share of apologizing. I've had to apologize to my wife on numerous occasions. Flowers have been bought to try to smooth things over. I've had to apologize apologize to a police officer for going too fast. I've had to apologize to my teacher for cursing in class. I've had to apologize to siblings for, for saying things that I shouldn't say. I've had to apologize to friends for literally physically and emotionally hurting them. And in each of those circumstances, in each of those times, if I would have only apologized sooner and faster, if I would have gotten to that moment quicker and it didn't work so hard to try to hide it, it would have been better sooner. You see, it's hard to hide sin and it only weighs yourself down. But in Psalm chapter 32 in verse 5, the psalmist goes on with our the power of apology and he says, Instead, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Say what? What's the psalmist saying here? What's What's being said that he really wants us to think on, to, to remind ourselves, to go back and look at it again. When you acknowledge your sin and you choose not to cover your iniquity, you are now exposing your bad behavior. You're acknowledging your mistake for all to see. You're airing your dirty laundry and you're putting it out there. This psalm over and over again talks about covering and uncovering your sin. As a matter of fact, in Psalm chapter, in, in the very first verse, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So what is this psalmist saying? Well, J.D. Greer, uh, a pastor, uh, the pastor of Summit Church, says it this way. When we expose our sin to God, God covers it. When we expose our sin to God, God covers it. When we cover our sin, God exposes it. We see this pattern over and over and over again. God says, hey, if, if you confess your sins to me, I'm faithful to forgive your sins and I will separate them as far as the east is from the west. And my love covers a multitude of sins. It is taken care of. It is covered. It is no longer remembered. It is no longer thought of. It is no longer held against you. But when we cover our sin, God exposes it and he tells us in verses be sure your sin will find you out. You sow what you will reap. Life is choices. Choices have consequences. So make the right choices. And when we think we have our sin covered, when we think we have it hidden, we have forgotten that there is a God who is in the business of exposing and uncovering our sin. Our sin cannot, no matter how hard we try to cover it, stay covered. 
That damage that you've done in a relationship cannot be ignored. It cannot be swept under the rug. It will, it will bear fruit. And so the principle that this psalmist is reminding us is, is we much rather be on the side of exposing our own sin, of apologizing for what we've done, so that God can then in turn cover it, then be the one who is exposed by God for sin that we are trying to cover. So the power of these words, to be able to come up to someone and with sincerity say, I am really and truly sorry, changes everything. We asked at the beginning of the series, well, what, what do horses have to do with apologizing? And in this particular psalm, a horse is used to help us understand the power of apology. You see, horses generally want to go the direction that they want to go. They're, they're called stubborn mules for a reason. And when a horse is broken, they are taken by a trainer and they are, they are taught to follow the rider. And until, until they're broken, they're considered a wild horse. They're going to go their own way. But once they are broken by the trainer, they are a tamed horse. And they now obey the rider. And in order for them to obey, a couple things happen. One, a bit is put in the horse's mouth. How would you like to have a metal bar shoved up in the back of your jaw and have someone on your back deciding to tell you to go right or left by putting pressure on either side of that bar? That's, that's how we get horses to steer is we control them by a bit. We also sit on top of them and kick them with our feet. Horses, uh, we use pain to direct horses until the point where they have learned to say, all right, I'm going to respond. I'm going to go right or left because I know that's the way the rider wants me to go, not just because I want to avoid pain. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 32 uses this example to give you and I a lesson for how we should react to God's leading in our lives. In Psalm 32 in verse 8, it says, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the rider. I'm going to tell you whether or not you should go right or left, and I'm going to teach you how to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you my word, and, and, and I'm going to tell you in God's word what my will is, and what is good, and what is bad, and what is wise, and what is unwise, and what's a sin, and what's not a sin, and what you should do, and what you shouldn't do. And and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So God's saying, listen, I'm, I'm want, I want to send you a certain direction. I'm going to tell you what you've been designed for and how you're supposed to live. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with the bit and the bridle, or it will not stay. What God is saying is do not be stubborn. Don't be like the horse that we have to use pain to get to go the way that we want to go. You see, God does want what's best for you. He does want you to go in the correct direction. And when you go off into the wrong direction, God may have to use pain to get your attention. It's hard to hide sin. Don't make pain be the thing that God directs you. Instead, make your love for God be the thing that directs you. When you apologize, when you confess, when you present your trespasses before the Lord, you are acknowledging that God wants you to go a certain direction, but you had gone the wrong way. 
And when you acknowledge those things and you confess those things, you are now saying to God, I'm sorry, I want to now go your way. I want to go the direction you will have me to go. This is the power of an apology to be able to say, I am really sorry. You know, the best apologies are true. They're heartfelt. They're sincere. So what makes a true confession? Well, in this illustration, we see a couple of things. Number one, a true confession, someone who is really sorry, is broken over the weight of sin. They're broken over the weight of sin. They understand the depth and the gravity of what they have done, how they've fallen short of God, how they've caused pain, how they've caused hurt. And they are broken over it. When is the last time you were broken over the weight of your sin? When you understood the depth of pain that your sin caused another person or caused the God of the universe. When we understand and love Jesus and we know that Jesus came and he died for us and it was my sin, it was, it was my choices that, that nailed him to the cross, that caused him to die the most painful death he could die, that separated him from his father, that caused him agony on the cross. When I realized it was my choices that caused him to be nailed to that cross and to be uh, to be crucified on my behalf, my the weight of my sin becomes heavy. It becomes deep and impactful. There have been a few moments in my life where I've been overwhelmed by the weight of my sin, whether it's singing a song or, or realizing in those moments just the, the, the depth of, of my choices and the distance that I had to go to make things up to God. And it overwhelmed me to the point where it brought me to tears broken over the weight of my sin. Maybe you've been broken over your choices in a relationship and you truly regret the things that you did that broke your relationship and you realized it was your choices, it was your actions, it was your words, it was your shortcomings that caused your relationship to be broken, husband and wife, father and daughter, brother and sister. And you come to the point in in your journey where you owned and you feel the weight of your decisions and you see the damage that it has caused. True confession. When you're really sorry, you understand the depth of your choices. True confession also accepts the consequences. You realize that, yes, I made a mistake and therefore there's something that's going to happen. When someone is not really sorry, they still try to avoid the consequences. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but we shouldn't really have to this happen. Now, officer, I shouldn't have to get that ticket. It shouldn't be that much. Yes, I know I was speeding and yes, I'm sorry. But when I'm truly sorry, I will accept the consequences. I did that and therefore these things are happening and they are rightly deserved. When I'm truly sorry, I'm not going to be preoccupied with other people's reactions. We can be so overly concerned about what other people think about our sin that we continue to hide it or we continue to hold animosity for them for thinking what they're thinking. When I apologize, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters that I'm making right what I have done wrong. And I'm going to apologize no matter the other people's reaction. I'm not apologizing to manipulate someone or change another person. I'm simply apologizing because I was wrong and I want to make it right. And a true confession is deeply intent on changing direction. And this is really key to true apologies, to really being sorry. It's saying, I am now going to turn and go in the right way. I'm sorry I did that. 
and I don't ever want to do that again. I'm sorry I did that and I'm now going to do this. I'm sorry I used those words and those words will no longer be used in my vocabulary. I'm sorry I had that action or I made that choice. I will make a different choice from now on. You see, when God directs our paths and he uses pain to steer us in the right direction, a true apology understands that we now have to change our direction. You see, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all need to come to the point where we are sorry for our sin, where we're sorry that our sin caused Jesus to die on the cross. And we realize that the consequences of our sin is eternity in hell. Everyone's going to spend eternity somewhere, and we all start on the path of hell for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's because of our sin, it's because of the choices that we've made that we deserve punishment in hell. But God loved us so much. God, who cared for us, sent his only son to die for us and to pay our penalty so that we could have life everlasting. And when I say to God, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for my sins. And I want to accept you as my savior. That is an act of repentance, of confession, of apology. And we say in that moment that I no longer want to go in the direction of my sin, but I want to go into another direction. I want to go in the direction that you have for me. And we literally turn around. When we repent of our sins, we were walking one way, and now we turn and walk another way. That's why when we baptize people, we ask them the question, is it your intent to follow Jesus and to go the way that Jesus wants you to go? Yes. Yes, that's what I want. That means I'm truly sorry for my sin. True confession is broken, accepts consequences, is not preoccupied with other people's reactions, and is deeply intent on changing direction. Now, you might be standing here going, you know what? That's absolutely right. You're nailing it, Pastor Josh. This is good preaching, and I hope my husband is listening. I, I hope my friend is getting this stuff. I'm going to email this thing. I'm going to send this link forward because so-and-so needs to hear this because they they're not good at... Listen, this is not a sermon for your friend or for your spouse or for your kids. This is for you. This is a song that God wants you to know and understand. And God is asking you to search your heart, not the heart of someone else. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way in one of his sermons. He says, there are two kinds of tears which true Christians shed. One tear is a tear of sorrow because of sin. God, I'm a sinner. The other is a tear of joy because of God's pardon. But God, you have forgiven this sinner of everything. When I am sorry for my sin, when I, when I confess and repent, I can now be filled with joy because God has forgiven me. God has pardoned me and God has, has given me victory in him and the ability to have a life everlasting. The ending of this psalm brings it full circle. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. When we say we are sorry and we realize God's forgiveness and restoration and pardon, we now have the ability to live life fullness, in the fullness of joy, in the gladness of spirit, and to shout for joy. You see, the power of an apology 
is it takes a broken person and restores them to the fullness of their walk with God. It takes a broken relationship and restores it back to what it was intended to be, and we can now have joy. That is why happy people apologize and miserable people don't. Christian, let's be quick to run to apologies. Let's be quick to say, I am really sorry, and to make things right, no matter the other person's reaction. And let's get away from the stubborn mindset that says, I always have to be right or I need to hide my sin. Church, can we be a safe place for people to confess their sins? Can we be a place where people can be uh, celebrated for apologizing? And so that we can be a part of restoring the joy of our walk and our relationships with one another and with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the power of the apology can restore your relationship with God. The power of the apology can restore your relationships with people around you. As we get to the end of our talk today, we want to encourage all of you who are listening online to take a few moments before you log off to to respond on your response card. Let us know that you watched, whether you're watching live with us on Sunday or whether you're watching the rebroadcast at some other point in the future. We're glad that you're here and we'd love to hear from you. So let us know. Uh, how this has encouraged you. And on your response card, you can let us know uh, what is something you thought of or you learned or how we can pray for you. And if you've been a part of this talk this morning and you're not sure if you've ever confessed your sins or accepted God as your own personal Savior, if you've never said to God you're sorry and invited Him to be the Savior of your life, uh, the Bible says to repent and be baptized. And today you can be, become a part of the family of God simply by praying a prayer of salvation. In this moment, realizing your sin needs to be forgiven by God, that you've been trying to hide it, that you've been trying to take care of it yourself, but you don't have to. God can take care of it for you. We'd love for you to think about that a little further by going to the gospel tab on our website or linking in your feed that you're watching along on your platform and hearing a little bit more about what it means to be saved and letting us know that if today you make the decision to become a follower of God, we'd love to celebrate that. So please let us know online. 